Knowledge Products presents Benjamin Graham and Fundamental Analysis as part of a series of presentations on Secrets of the Great Investors, narrated by Louis Rukeyser. The novelist Ernest Hemingway once wrote, all modern American literature comes from one book by Mark Twain called Huckleberry Finn. In the world of investing, Benjamin Graham was no less important. In fact, he's considered the father of modern investing. Graham is to investing what Euclid is to geometry and Darwin to the study of evolution. Yet Graham is unlike Euclid, Darwin, and Twain, because today he is only dimly recognized. Even many avid stock market watchers know little about this remarkable investor, money manager, writer, teacher, classical scholar, basement inventor, playwright, and financial philosopher. Yet almost all investors are in Graham's debt, whether they have heard of him or not. As Smart Money magazine observed in 1994, precisely 100 years after Graham was born. Graham's ideas formed a framework of thinking about the stock market that has inspired the investment community for nearly a century. Put into practice, his fundamentals allowed a generation of money managers to consistently achieve 20% plus annual returns. After Graham died in 1976, his prized pupil, Warren Buffett, offered these words of praise. It is difficult to think of possible candidates for even the runner-up position in the field of security analysis. Of course, stocks were bought and sold long before Benjamin Graham was born. So when people call him the father of investing, they mean that he's the father of fundamental investing. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, few people had access to much hard data about companies. Fewer still would have known what to do with it. Many relied on tips, intuition, and guesswork. In a word, they were speculators, not unlike betters at a racetrack. By contrast, Graham paid close attention to a company's fundamentals, that is, its revenues, earnings, dividends, assets, debt, financial structure, and the history of all these items over time. Graham devised coherent principles for analyzing these fundamentals, and he applied these principles in deciding whether a company is a suitable investment. These principles were laid out in Graham's celebrated text, Security Analysis, which he co-authored with David Dodd. In effect, Benjamin Graham devised a roadmap for Wall Street, a kind of navigating system for critically and logically evaluating stocks. Stock pickers now could be analysts rather than fortune tellers and investing could evolve beyond a pinstriped version of a casino. The financial writer George Goodman, who goes by the pen name Adam Smith, notes that Graham professionalized investing. There is only one dean of our profession, if security analysis can be said to be a profession. The reason that Benjamin Graham is undisputed dean is that before him there was no profession and after him they began to call it that. 
He came to Wall Street in 1914. Twenty years later, he published the first edition of Security Analysis, the first and reigning textbook in the field. Big, black, and forbidding, generations of analysts have grown up with Graham and Dodd, as it is called. Now there are examinations and learned analyst societies and the appellation CFA, or Certified Financial Analyst. Above all, Graham was dean because of his gift for teaching. There were better investors than Graham, but none was better at illuminating his subject. Students and working professionals flocked to Graham's classes at Columbia Business School. Investors scooped up his books. Even Congress called for his testimony to explain the ways of the stock market. On a personal level, friends and family often found Ben Graham to be distant. He failed at marriage three times. Graham's searingly honest autobiography, entitled Benjamin Graham, The Memoirs of the Dean of Wall Street, was published posthumously in 1996. In it, Graham confessed to feeling more kinship with his literary heroes than with living people. One might well ask in Hamlet's phrase, what Septimius Severus to him, or he to Septimius Severus? The fact is, I must confess, that Severus was my friend, in a way in which living men have not succeeded in being my friends. I'm afraid I have heeded only too well Kipling's counsel. Let all men count with you, but none too much. Generous, patient, and kind, Graham was in many ways a loner. He would quit his own dinner parties when he felt the need to be alone. His third wife said he was humane, but not human. And Graham himself endorsed this verdict. Graham's autobiography paints a picture of emotional solitude, as in this passage, where he describes his own childhood in the third person. Very early in life, he set to work, like a beaver, to build a breastwork around his heart. He recognized only one close companion, only one kindred spirit, himself. Graham was a short man with thick lips and piercing light blue eyes. He looked somewhat like the actor Edward G. Robinson. He was absent-minded and fond of puns. But Graham's lectures had a certain drama. With students and protégés, he was unburdened, charismatic, and especially outgoing. Even as Graham retired and strangely slipped into semi-obscurity, his disciples multiplied and spawned their own disciples. Tens of thousands of Graham followers, on and off Wall Street, now apply his philosophy every day. Born Benjamin Grossbaum in London in 1894, Ben was the youngest of three boys in an Orthodox Jewish family. Within a year, his father, an importer of china and bric-a-brac, moved the business and the family to New York. Wall Street was still in its dark age, when all common stocks were considered speculative. The stock market of the 19th century had been a battlefield for railroad barons, and mostly avoided by the general populace. Not until 1896, one year after Ben's family set foot in America, did Charles Dow create his celebrated Dow Jones Industrial Average. 
according to a Wall Street Journal retrospective. Stocks, in general, were frowned on. Share prices, often controlled, cornered, or otherwise stage-managed by Wall Street pools, were subject to spectacular rises and plunges. Trading on inside information was de rigueur, and little other information existed. In 1895, when the stock exchange gingerly proposed that companies distribute an annual statement of earnings to shareholders, it was a radical step. Prudent investors bought bonds, which is what Mr. Dow would recommend to readers of the Ladies' Home Journal. Stocks were the playthings of raiders and speculators. Graham helped to pierce this darkness by drawing a bright line between investment and speculation. For those who sought to purchase stocks with safety and the expectation of reasonable profit, Graham and Dodd's book would be The Rosetta Stone. However, Graham's philosophy was anything but easily arrived at. When he was a young boy, Ben's family lived in a comfortable brownstone in then-fashionable Harlem with a cook and French governess. The New York of his childhood was one of elevated trains, horse-drawn streetcars, and skating in Central Park. But when Benjamin was nine, tragedy struck. His father died. Ben's mother tried to keep the import business afloat, but failed. One by one, she pawned off their possessions, even the watch that Ben was to have inherited from his father. On a speculation, Dorothy Grossbaum purchased U.S. steel stock on margin, and Ben later recalled the result. As a small boy, I would open our paper at the financial page each day to see what U.S. steel had done. Mother's margin account was duly wiped out in the panic of 19...